Did you guys get the notification that it's recording? Yes. Uh, yes, you're All doing, right, Dan, you're doing great, buddy. Um, <laughs> this is going so well. All yeah, right. they're not even going to notice that Ace isn't even isn't posting this one. There's <laughs> no nobody's going to know. Notice, notice now. Who's going to know? Uh, and I'm sure Ace will cut this cold open because uh, <laughs> we wouldn't want to alert the listeners to anything um, unusual happening. Uh, welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode sixty-one. I'm your host. Ace and Bender. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, I am Connor Southerd. I don't want to slander Ace by associating him with me. Um, I'm stepping in for Ace as uh, the person who is uh, has to actually read through the whole list of the show note structure while my co-hosts just sort of range like feral animals. Um, but I'm joined by uh, my dear friends, Taylor Fulton um, and Dan, a.k.a. Thick Stauskas on Twitter who uh, this is the first time the three of us and only the three of us have been on the same pod. Um, how are you guys doing? doing I'm good. doing. Yeah, Dan, go first. You, oh, no. you talk on this pod less. <laughs> go, you you go. That's, oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, no, um, I uh, I don't want to be accused of, uh, of speaking over a, a woman in, in a Zoom meeting. <laughs> um, that's That's not the kind of thing I like to do on a normal basis. But since I've been giving because and only because i've been giving i've, I've been given uh you know permission i will um no I'm, i feel good this is a real um this is kind of a a really satanic permutation of of the host of this podcast it's without ace like we are we are truly children running amok um it's <laughs> it's it's gonna be this is gonna be some really chaotic energy this could be a three-hour podcast this could really we could really be testing the the limits of podcasting, but um, I'm well. I'm doing fine, um, and yeah, let's let's talk about about podcasting stuff. Connor, you're the host. You gotta. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> it's already it's already spiraling. We're already rambling. We're already, we've um, already begun. Look, uh, I guess we need to do some big moods for anyone who's not aware. Um, oh, I have to say this. Shoot, I'm sorry. We are presented by Homefield Apparel and Points Bet, and we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. We are also a Meet at Midfield production. Um, I'd like to apologize to Ace if I put that too far into the episode. He can probably copy and paste it, uh, however you do that when you're editing. Apologies. Um, get the hang of this. For anyone who's not aware, Michigan beat the Iowa Hawkeyes 27-14 to 14 at Kinnick Stadium, their cursed venue. Um, so we're mostly talking about that. And I think that's probably a pretty good segue uh, into Dan's big mood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I I'm just like super happy with that win. I mean, like a boring win at Kinnick is something that many great teams uh, have not been able to accomplish. And um, going in there and taking care of business and really not ever being in any real danger of losing um, is pretty cool and good. And I, I liked it a lot. Um so yeah, no, we should we should celebrate this type of win, and uh, you know, I, I feel like it was, it, I don't know, getting like as, as much bluster as we kind of put behind us um, going in and, and saying that Michigan was going to win by a thousand points. Uh, you know, I, I I was nervous, I have to admit, because it's just it's Kinnick and it's it's Iowa, and they just find ways to make work make better teams play down to their level, and uh, it was good to not do that and to just completely take care of business. I. I, I don't think I've been this just purely satisfied with a win. Um, well, that's not true. I haven't been purely satisfied with a win like this, you know, over a uh, 
over a non-Ohio State team in quite a while. So all, all good vibes right now. I was going to say, you'd be the true like sicko Michigan fan if you appreciated the win at Kinnick more than beating Ohio State. But um, <laughs> I I think that what uh, Kirk Ferentz didn't realize and the Iowa fans didn't realize for this game is like Jim Harbaugh will absolutely play down to your level if you're Iowa. The problem is that he can do the old school run game stuff and the punting better than you can. And that's the one thing they didn't expect. That's the one thing they they were not prepared for. Um, but I'm actually with you, Dan. And I, and you know, Ace is not here right now. I think you're totally right, but it is kind of freaking me out how positive both you and Ace have been lately. Um, I feel like that puts me in the odd position of having to be negative, which is like, that's, that's not in my contract. I was hired for you know an exorbitant mel tucker like some uh by this <laughs> podcast uh to be yeah. the positive guy who talks about my my you know outlandishly homerish feelings about the michigan wolverines but um hey you know uh i say good for you guys uh we're it's hard to have it's hard not to feel some good vibes at michigan right now i think things are going well um but i'm gonna spike it a little bit uh, before we get to Taylor's, I'm just going to interject my big mood, which is I am super glad that Dan, of all people, is here, here to hear me say that this game was the first time I have ever missed Don Brown. Because <laughs> because as, as much as Don wow. Brown's decline, as much as his decline was precipitous um, once he started to really fall off as a D.C., I know that Dom Brown would not have allowed one thing to happen, which is that Nico Regani would not have been running free at any point in this game if Don Brown were the DC, because Nico Regani is not good enough to get open in man-to-man coverage against our DBs. And I think Michigan, I, I, I Michigan, so so secondary coverage is one of those things where you form an impression watching the broadcast and then afterwards someone who has access to the film tells you you're entirely wrong because you can't really see what's going on. I know that at the end of the game, Michigan went to soft coverage because they're just doing the boilerplate NFL style prevent defense and saying that Iowa can't march down the field twice in X amount of time. And that's like totally fine. I I mean, I, it's fine. I don't like it. Don Brown wouldn't have done it. It's kind of my whole point. Um, prior to that, it did feel like kind of oddly at times that Michigan was not trusting their DBs to cover Iowa receivers quite as much as they trusted them to cover Maryland receivers, which was just kind of strange to watch because they did a great job against Maryland's vastly better receivers, none of whom are Nico Regani. Um, Don Brown would have gone out there and, you know, personally tackled him before letting that happen. Uh, I will say, though, this is, again, those things where, like, the impressions you form are wrong. I was so mad when they converted that third and 22 to Nico Regani. Uh, But it turns out that uh, my guy, Mike Sanderson, just slipped on that play. So it wasn't really, you know, the coverage wasn't the problem. It was just a a player error. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think the fact that we've gotten almost half through the season and my biggest complaint is that I wish Don Brown and his maniacal refusal to concede literally anything – um, we're still like part of the program just for novelty's sake. It says a lot about how well things are going for Michigan football. Yeah, like it's 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 really, I mean, Don Brown ruined a lot of our expectations for Michigan football defense. Um it, it's crazy, like you know, yeah, that giving up some yards to Iowa is is going the, the trade-off is that we don't give up all of the yards to Ohio State, but uh we went over this last year. We we talked about it. Doesn't make it doesn't mean it it makes it feel any better. It doesn't feel good. I I do think there's a point that I'll make later about Jim Harbaugh's conservatism in the second half of games, which like is probably the right move. And I think this like 
you know, it might be a move that Matt Weiss and everybody else in the brain trust agrees with, but it, it, it can be annoying. Very, very annoying to watch. But at the end of the day, like we were never actually in a game with Iowa. It just felt like we somehow might stumble backwards into one when we fumbled the ball towards our own two yard line, but it didn't actually happen. And so it's fine. Um, we were, we are big winners. We are five and oh, we're undefeated. Things are going well. So the Michigan Wolverine football team is a bunch of winners, unlike the subject of Taylor's big mood. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm always here with the bad news. Um, so I have to talk about Michigan hockey because it is something I follow. Um, and I just want to say um, Mel Pearson's a huge loser. Um, I hope he hears this someday um, because he is like, long story short, he has been like lurking around the hockey program long since he got fired so i wrote about this at meet at midfield uh meet at midfield.com um and i and i wrote about this because like i noticed that he had well first um a hockey blog called the rink live um got an like a one-on-one exclusive with mel pearson and he talked to them for an hour they published this thing that's basically you know a a, a pearson like glowing profile of him and like how like he doesn't think he did anything wrong yada yada um then like i'm looking into this and then i notice like huh that's super weird mel pearson keeps retweeting michigan hockey like he i believe my count was he retweeted since he got fired on august 5th he retweeted them like over 30 times like we're like thinking like maybe 33 34 times which is a weird amount of retweet is such a great like zoomer move i love that right which is i don't love it i hate him but you know it's funny (laughs) like i don't know like if you ever got fired from someplace like would you keep retweeting them no i wouldn't but you know hey that's just me um anyway um so yeah um so basically he did that he went to a volleyball game um, a Michigan volleyball game on Wednesday. He went to a Michigan hockey exhibition game in Yost on Saturday. So he he went there. Um, somebody had actually mentioned to me he was also in a suite. Um, and then he tweeted about it. He was basically like, I'll always love Michigan hockey, which is really weird to say. You really shouldn't be going into the place of your former employer where allegedly you harassed a bunch of people and uh, fostered a toxic workplace environment. That seems bad. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But anyway, um, I, I mean, I think that's like all extremely accurate. And um, I, I also just think we've what stood out to me about this story, uh, him hanging around the program, is that we've entered this this period where a certain kind of person, often an aging white male who's had a little bit of power, like they if they lose some power or something bad happens, they will sort of create this alternative realm of fairy tales in which like somehow the truth will come out and they'll be vindicated. And like maybe Mel Pearson actually thinks as unreasonable as this would be to think that like, if he's sort of a positive enough influence around the environs of Michigan hockey, that he will get to coach there again which is obviously yeah. not going to happen. Right. But it has that like, same feel of like, you know, people lose power these days and a certain kind of person is like, just wait until the truth comes out. You know, patriots are in control. Like, like everything <laughs> will snap back into the reality that I want it to be. And that's not going to happen for Mel Pearson if his goal is to coach Michigan hockey. So instead, he's just being creepy and weird. Yeah. Um, and I will say a uh, shout out to Connor Eargood from the Michigan Daily who 
reported on those inaccuracies and also um uh said he has sources that that suggest Mel Pearson went to a hockey practice and also contacted the incoming freshman which if that ends up those things end up being true we get way past like weird dude and into like hey maybe Michigan Athletics should look into this they might not they probably won't because Lord Manuel wanted to keep Mel Pearson around um, I mean, that's, but, into, that's into like restraining order territory like yeah like it's yeah it's to a point where like and again this is this is what Connor is reporting. Um, I am going to trust that until I see otherwise. Um, but I thought that was just a little bit concerning um, that he had multiple sources uh, claim to him yeah. that Mel Pearson is like physically still lurking around. So that that seems like something that maybe some people should look into. Well, let's again. That's just me. I don't know. I don't, uh, as I don't know. as host of this podcast, I want to agree with all of Taylor's uh, various opinions, which are not facts, and note that. All of this is things that allegedly occurred. Um, who knows what may or may not have happened with people like Mel Pearson or Kirk Barton or various other characters who allegedly have done things in the history of this podcast. But um, yeah, allegedly. I mean, it's it's allegedly it's all allegedly very concerning. I agree. And it's it's weird and uh, something the athletic department should allegedly do something about probably. Allegedly. Yeah. And that's all I got on that. Uh, I'd like to talk about. I don't want to talk about Iowa, but I guess we have to. I mean, I I want to talk about Iowa. I had a great time on Saturday. Are you kidding me? Like, I love seeing all these Iowa fans with their, you know, cute little I root for the punter shirts. Um, I was saying in the chat that I love imagining that there's like a a cold war among Iowa fans over whether those shirts are adorable or whether they're actually unacceptably condoning the Ferentz regime. Um, but anyway yeah Iowa uh we played some offense against Iowa um I will start by talking about the quarterback who is JJ McCarthy in case you haven't heard this was definitely not this a is like fan. the opening to like a middle school uh essay it's Connor <laughs> like stating his, I will start by talking <laughs> about the quarterback who is JJ McCarthy <laughs> Look, man, I have to signpost this podcast so that people are scrolling around and they, they hear me and Taylor talking about Josh Allen. They don't get deeply confused. All right. That's this is my job as host. Um, anyway, in, in brief, um, JJ was 18 of 24 uh, for, you know, not that many yards. I think 155. So yards per temp, not great. Didn't throw any INTs, though. Um, and I will note that he despite the lack of like a true fireworks play in this game except for probably the one throw that he fit into a tight window for Andre Anthony which was great by the way um it's really notable that after five weeks so pretty deep into the season JJ McCarthy is leading the entire country in completion percentage at 78.6 percent which like you know the fact that we don't run like a big 12 circa 2015 dink and dunk offense so that's pretty Remarkable. I will also note that Dan's guy, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, is number two nationally in completion percentage, which is also good for Michigan because that means that he and Maryland might actually be pretty good. But um, yeah, what do you guys think about the quarterback play in this game? Yeah, I thought it was just, I mean, you know, the numbers don't really speak to it, but I felt very good. Like I thought he was making the right decisions all day, delivering a v- very catchable balls, um, putting in the right spots for his receivers, not putting the ball in danger. Um, I mean, and I think like if he just, you know, yet again, kind of missed a pretty wide open deep ball. Like he hits that, like we're, we're having a much different conversation, you know, about like what a great game he had um, made a play like that, that last touchdown, they scored out the last touchdown, but the second to last touchdown to the throw to um, 
Donovan Edwards, like that was a play he made himself that not many quarterbacks in the country can make. Um, and I mean, yeah, just overall, like I, I thought he played well. He made good reads in the run game. He pulled the ball when, um, you know, when it was appropriate and, and just kept the offense moving. Like when you have an efficient day like that, you know, against, uh, one of the best defenses in the country, at least statistically, like your quarterback has to play well. And I, I thought he was making really good decisions all day. Um, wasn't asked to like really pick apart this defense because Michigan kind of felt, felt like they could run the ball, which they definitely did. Um, but you know, he, what he was asked to do, he definitely did. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say because Iowa's defense is so dependent largely on turnovers, you know, they really seek those out. That's, that's a core part of what they're trying to do on defense that for him not to, you know, have made any grave errors. We can talk about the the fumble um, that Edwards recovered uh, shortly because that's really not not super on JJ McCarthy at all. Um, I think that that's a really good sign, and um, I think Bill Connolly like just tweeted like um, like how he does the whole thread of like all the games. Um, he he basically said um, something to a similar effect of like, you know, you're going into Kinnick, you're going into this like hostile environment, um, and this is your first road start. Um, like that's that's pretty impressive to do, especially at a place like Kinnick, which I know we've debunked like all of the the things of like, ooh, you can't play there, ooh, all that stuff. Um, but it it but feels now that good. we've won, it's very impressive. Yes, now <laughs> <laughs> all those takes yeah. are actually true. It turns out no one else wins there except for us. Um, Correct, it's so true, so true. Someone, uh, someone yeah. at MGO blog pointed out actually that uh, Jim Harbaugh has never won in Iowa City as a coach or as a player because the only previous game he's coached there was the infamous 2016 game, which added to the Kinnick legend. And I guess he uh, lost there at least once as a college starter um, at the University of Michigan, and so. He was, it sounds like he was pretty happy after this game because this is like, you know, quietly a monkey he's had on his back for a long time. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Taylor. No, I had nothing else to say. I was just like happy that like, because I think it could have gone, it could have gotten ugly. Like, especially like, again, you're looking at a young quarterback needs to think about decision-making and also kind of like a little bit of what we saw against Maryland, where it, it seemed like he was a little bit like not super on when it, when it came to, you know, going through his progressions and making the right decision. Um, it, it's, it's nice. It's very, very nice. And I'm very, very happy. Um, so that's really all I got. Yeah. I mean, a boring game manager game against Iowa with no turnovers and a high completion percentage is pretty legit to me because I am of the opinion that this Iowa defense is correctly rated as one of the very, very top ones in the country, like watching them in other games, they're extremely experienced and their secondary in particular are excellent at forcing turnovers. So the fact that that didn't happen in this game, um, I think it speaks volumes. I mean, in, in in a lot of ways, when you adjust for opponent, this might be JJ's best game, weirdly. Um, all right. If there's no more QB takes, I think we can talk about. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is the, this oh. is I mean, I think the take is that there's not like a, a bevy of quarterback takes like this was I think it was pretty clear that JJ played a really good game and was part of the reason that we were so efficient on offense. And I don't really know, like, I feel like all the quarterback like. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's good that we don't really have much to say about it. You know, I really agree. I mean, it's easy to like sort of the past always looks brighter in a certain way. But like, you know, five games into the season, I don't think we've ever had so few complaints about a Michigan quarterback since I I guess since like Denard. Like, it's been a while. So, um, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, 
yeah, uh, running back, I think even fewer complaints, probably. I am laying down a bright line here since I've sort of seized the con as the host, and I'm declaring that Blake Corum is the best running back in the nation, according to the authority of the Bucket Problem podcast. Uh, my co-host can disagree if they want, even though it's not the official take, but I just want to say not only is the eye test very much there in all kinds of settings across five games, but he's leading the nation in rushing touchdowns. He's fourth in rushing yards, despite having significantly fewer carries than anyone else in the top five. All of them have over 100 carries. He only has 93 on the year, and he's only 12th nationally in yards per carry, but everyone above him has nowhere near as many carries. So, I mean, he should very clearly be in the Heisman conversation. I don't think that's much of a stretch. Um, and I'll let my co-host unleash their takes right after I say Donovan Edwards was seems to be more featured in the passing game right now than the running game. And given how Corum's playing, that's fine. It's just a matter of making sure we don't overuse Corum. Yeah, that was my big take, honestly, was just, uh, you know, um, I, I, I would like to see. I think I think the last two weeks have been fine because Corum's been just on fire, but I, I thought Edwards ran really well uh, the other day, and I think that it would be better to potentially spread the carries around a little bit more. Like 60 carries in two weeks is a lot. Um, and Donovan Edwards has been an absolute weapon in the passing game too. Like I, I think he's looked more explosive than he did last year. He looks just as natural catching the ball. Um, his runs of he's running with a lot of power. Um, I yeah, I mean I and I agree with you on your on your quorum take. I mean like. To me, he's a Heisman contender. You know, he's in an offense that that features him. He's one of the best skill position players in the country, and he's putting up the stats. Like I absolutely think he should be. You know, he, he should he should get at least on the pace he's at right now. He should get an, an invite to New York at the very least. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I didn't actually. Uh, I didn't read the show notes and did not notice the part uh, where where Connor has bravely declared him um, should be in the Heisman conversation. I agree. That's not, that's not what's going to happen. Unfortunately, Um, even though we are right all the time, um, we have never been wrong. Don't check that. Um, Yeah. I I just think it was good. And I do, and kind of to the point um, a few people made um, last week, um, I said it, several other people have said it like it's, it, it is still regardless what, where, Edwards is being used it's good that he's back um it's good to to have that safety net of like hey if we want to split up carries we can hey if you know something god forbid happens to Blake Corum we have Edwards so I feel good about those things um and and I feel good that he's back um I do hope that if um things get um you know out of hand in Michigan's favor um, against Indiana that, that we give Stokes another try. I would like to see Stokes kind of get a little bit of like a redemption um, considering the last time he was out there, what he fumbled. Um, I, I would like to see that and just kind of get some of that trust back because again, the, the usage of Corbin right now is not sustainable. And I, and I've said it and I hope, and even though he's very, very good and he can clearly handle it. I just, I just hope that we can kind of do a little bit of load management in the next um, at least in the next week, because I think Penn State will need him pretty heavily again. Yeah, I, I think uh, I hope that our sponsor, if he's listening, will cover his ears. But Indiana is a tune up game. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> I mean, Blake Corum should get a chance to put up some numbers because, you know, like that's important as well. But like, yeah, we should not be handing him the ball 30 times in this upcoming game. That should go without saying. Um and but I, I mean, all that said, like he's creating a lot of offense himself right now. He's getting really good blocking, but like 
we're delivering him three yards downfield and he's getting 10 every time, you know, like this is not, this is not the same offense without Blake Corum. So in, in, in games that are actually in doubt, like, you know, I think there's a, he could probably get a few less carries, but he is an absolutely integral part of the offense. And like, I, I think that as long as he feels good, like as you know, you gotta, and they don't need to ride him as hard as they've ridden him the past two weeks. You know, I think like, like we said, you know, Stokes can get some carries. Uh, Edwards can probably get more carries, hopefully. Um, but I, I don't know, like, this is why you have a guy like Blake Quorum, right? Is to, is to, is to have him win you games like this. And, you know, they gave him a pretty good amount of rest in the, uh, in the tune-up games earlier in the season. So hopefully we, we see a little bit more of that against Indiana. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say much about Quorum. Like he's just doing everything right. Like the cuts that he makes, his vision, it's very easy for Michigan fans to say, we have a point of reference. Like he has the best vision of any mission running back since Mike Hart but he is much more physically gifted than Mike Hart. No offense to our beautiful running backs coach, who I'm sure would agree with that statement because <laughs> he coaches Blake Corum. Um, it's, it's been quite a show. Let's, I guess the hope is just that the show goes on because it's nice to have one of the best skilled players in the country. It's been a minute since Michigan could really say like we had one of the, like the, you know, top five skilled guys in the country. Um, it's Denard. I think that's, that's the last sort of landmark for that. So, Pretty cool stuff. Um, are there more running backs takes before we talk about the guys who catch the ball down the field? Um, no, I mean you know Edwards. Uh, if anything, Edwards needs more touches. But there's a lot of guy on this, a lot of guys in this team that are not pro- probably getting as many touches as uh, you know they get on other teams. So yeah, we can move on. Cool. Um, so wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker is really coming on as. A guy who has really stepped up in the absence of Eric All, he's also clearly a favorite target of J.J. McCarthy, especially as a third down safety blanket, which is a really crucial role. Um, he's been reliable and you know has enough athleticism that despite not being an elite athlete at tight end, get more than gets the job done. Um, I think my co-hosts have more takes about receivers than I do. I will say that I love you know end arounds to Ronnie Bell. That was fun. Um, Andrell Anthony showed that he should get more opportunities downfield, especially chances to high point the ball because he's a guy who can jump up there and do that. That's about all I have to say about receivers. What do you guys got for me? Taylor, you want to go first on this one? Sure. Yeah. So I think to, to speak uh, about Schoonmaker specifically, um, I, I think he stood out to me just as blocking really, really well as well. Um, you could see him doing a really nice job on that. Um, on a bell touchdown as well as the quorum touchdown where uh quorum uh it for the technical term uh smoked the shit out of jack campbell um so that rocked um and so like you saw him do, doing a lot of really good things in the blocking game as well which again that's kind of what eric gall was doing like kind of um being like a complete tight end um and i i think i also said it in the in our chat that we definitely need to talk about Eric all as if he is not coming back, whether it is the injury itself or the surgery that he's rumored to be contemplating. He's just assume he's not coming back. Um, but, you know, I, and I've said this before that that's Coonmaker is doing a really nice job kind of like filling in this role, um, taking this on and stepping up, I'm sure in a role that he probably did not see happening for him, um, you know, coming into the season, but it bears repeating. He's doing a nice job. Um, I'm curious to see again where where he stacks up against more uh, 
against like, you know, other opponents, but this is one of the best defenses again that we're going to see. And he did a really nice job. So I cannot complain. It's also a defense that practices against good tight ends a lot. Uh, so exactly. You know, that yeah. something. Right. I also, I feel you brought it up. I just wanted to go back and say like, we did not note that, you know, Blake Corm among the many good things he does on Saturday, he juked a legitimate all of, you know, all American linebacker in Jack Campbell out of his shoes and, embarrassed him on the way to the end zone that guy is really good and he's so good that he spills into other segments that are not about running backs um (laughs) but uh yeah dan you've got some receiver takes yeah um i thought i think it's an underrated part like michigan's wide receiver blocking is so 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 good um on the perimeter like so many plays are created by those guys and the effort they put in blocking they're really good at it um it's hard to feel like the receivers are just not getting as much an opportunity to go make plays as we might want. Um, but it's hard to complain. Like th- this offense did what it had to do against Iowa uh, on Saturday. And it's, 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 I don't know, like it, it feels like some guys aren't getting enough touches, but then again, like the offense is, is just operating at such a high level or at, at a high enough level that it's like, what can you really complain about? Um, Andrew Anthony should probably get more, uh, more uh, opportunities to go up and get the ball. Uh, I feel like that's one area that I can definitely say, like, especially in the red zone, like throw it up to him. He's got, he's really, really good at high pointing the ball. Um, Roman Wilson, I thought had a really nice game. Uh, I think that Luke Shoemaker is a better receiving tight end than Eric all, quite frankly. Um, I think he's really, really natural out there. He does a great job using his body to shield defenders away from the ball. Um, Caught a really nice, just like stop route, uh, like a 10 yard stop route on, first down it was like a laser that McCarthy put in there that I was almost like worried that it was going into coverage but he just plucked it and it it was a really nice play um and yeah I mean I don't know like hit Roman Wilson on a deep ball you know like just these guys are wide open downfield a lot and and we got to start hitting those um that's really the only complaint about the offense I had in general um these guys played a good game um and there's this is a no stars group but I think on a different roster, like a lot of these guys would just be true superstars. It's yeah, it's a no stars group, but like as you pointed out, poor poor damn Roman Wilson. I'm gonna use that MGO blog uh, epithet for him because like he just dusts guys down the field, and this is a really good secondary. He's got like two or three steps on a guy wide open for a touchdown, and the ball's not getting there. And um, I think they should dedicate some serious time and practice to timing that route because it's going to be there against just about everybody. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, especially when you like, if you get him one-on-one in basically any scenario, like there's no amount of cushion that you can give that will allow someone to cover. He is so, so fast. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's all good here. Like I don't really, I think, you know, there were some complaints about the receivers not getting open enough against Maryland that I did not really agree with. I, I think they did a really good job and it should, should also not be not go unsaid that this is a defense that you really have to know um, where to sit down on, you know, like it's not so much like the route running and like the, the being aware of like where your defenders are in this defense is, is huge in terms of running the ball. And I felt like all day, like receivers were just in the right place to catch the ball and, and keep the, keep the, uh, you know, move the chains, keep the drive moving. So all good stuff here. I, I am, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, like this, this is the type of group that in a different offense in an air raid offense, you'd be talking about one of the best receiver rooms in the country, in my opinion. Again, that, uh, just stunning positivity from Dan, who I believe ranked (laughs) receiver group fifth in the big 10, uh, before the season and thought they maybe should be lower. I'm I'm calling you out, man. I I will, I will address that. (laughs) I mean, look, I think, uh, 
I think Maryland's has kind of stood up, right? I think I'd, I'd, I'd Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan State, Penn State above us. Um, I still – Maryland, I think, like, you know, Dante Demas has not quite come back to form. Michigan State, Jaden Reed's been super hurt, um, and they just – I mean, wheels are coming off there. So, uh, Ohio State still I'd have above us, obviously. Um, and Penn State, yeah, I mean, I think they're they're right up there with Penn State. You know, I, I, think, I think there was a certain – these guys look better with JJ McCarthy throwing on the ball, like with being able to run the full route tree and like go deep and, and hit like deep, you know, uh, deep out routes and deep, deep uh, comeback routes. Like it's a different offense with JJ McCarthy running it. And I don't think I really had that in mind when I ranked these guys, you know, lower than they potentially should have been. I mean, that's, that's totally fair. I think the JJ McCarthy point is kind of the key one. We said he would unlock a different level in the offense and that's been true. And I do think it's not really your fault so much as just this is the perils of predicting things in college football because players and situations change so much from year to year that the data stops being relevant, you know, the second the ball kicks at the start of September. So, I mean, it's all fine. I'm just going to tease you a little bit uh, for being so positive. <laughs> um, but I, I love it. I love the good vibes. Um, yeah. If if there are, are there any other receiver takes or should we do the the big boys in the trenches? Yeah, let's move on to the big boys. I'm excited to talk about this. Let's talk about the big boys. I don't have a ton to say except that they shoved around a very good defensive front, um, quite possibly the best one they will face this year, and they just moved them out of the way. It, it was a it was a, a pretty decisive beatdown in the run game. Um, pass blocking was also pretty good. There were some arguable adverse events in pass blocking, but... Dan's going to tell me why those are actually debatable, which I'm totally open to hearing. I mean, overall, a very sound performance against an elite defense. Yeah, I mean, all this offensive line does is just move people, you know. Um, and I will say, like, this is the quintessential offensive line performance for Michigan in the Harbaugh tenure is obviously the uh, the Ohio State game from last year. But here's the thing. That defensive front wasn't any good. This defensive front was very good. And if you remember, like, last year, Michigan's offensive line did not consistently run the ball against Iowa or Wisconsin. The two, honestly, best, I mean, or Georgia, but that's just a whole other monster. Um, Iowa and Wisconsin were the two actual best defenses they played that year. And they, both of them, they ran the ball okay, but not consistently in this way. Like, this was a paving. Um, and I'm not sure what the line stats are going to come out to, but they were delivering the, delivering the running backs downfield consistently. They were moving guys out of the way. Um, all of the pressure that came was off of like just blown assignments, which I, I think what, what I was going to say about Trent A. Jones, like I, it, upon watching it, I believe that's a mistake on his part. Um, I do think those, here's the thing though. Trent A. Jones won offensive player a week, player of the week per the program. Like, they said he was the best player on that offense in a week that, you know, Blake Corum went absolutely crazy. Um, which makes me think that he didn't just completely biff two assignments. I think that on those five-man protections, uh, and I'm going to have a, a football coach tell me that I'm wrong about this on Twitter, so whatever. But um, I think on those five-man protections, the guy that when, when they see six coming, the guy that they leave unblocked is the guy that J.J. McCarthy can actually see, right? Like the, the, the front side end. Um, I know that some teams do it that way. Like it's like that, that guy is for the quarterback to account for. Um, and, and on the touchdown play, like that, you know, there, there, a free rusher came, JJ McCarthy actually did very much account for him and make him miss. And, you know, 
the play worked um, on the fumble play. It very much didn't. And you could argue that I think JJ probably should have just gotten the ball away um, before that happened. But you know what, regardless, those are probably, those are probably uh pass protection minuses. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say he was perfect, but like in terms of the physicality, like they did not get beat one-on-one in the pass rush. Um, and they were just moving them around as, as much as they wanted in the run game. Like, I know it sounds like we're being kind of comically positive right now, but it just every time Michigan wasn't running the ball, it was due to like a uh, you know Zach Zinter stepping tripping JJ McCarthy, or B like you know a, a game state type situation where we were kind of turtling. Um, and I I don't I, I I did not feel at any point that Iowa was really doing anything to stop this offense. Yeah, I mean, Michigan beat Iowa down in the trenches, which is saying something because, again, this is a good defensive front. And I think the take that we can give definitively about, you know, a year and a half of the Sharon Moore-led offensive lines at Michigan is no one the last year and a half has done better run blocking than Michigan, I would say, in the entire country. I say that because they just move guys out of the way. When these guys are asked to move people, the people get moved. When Zach Center is told to move somebody, they're not there anymore. Um, and that goes for, you know, Oluwatimi and a bunch of other guys as well. That, I think, is a pretty definitive take. Pass blocking, you know, maybe not quite the best line in the country at that. I think that's an area that's been, you know, a little bit more adverse just in comparison to excellent run blocking. It's still very good, but it's not like, you know, it doesn't work every single time the way that the mauling and the run game works. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and um, you know, I kind of made the point of, like, I, I personally still like again I'm hesitant about Trent A. Jones and pass protection because this is a trend at this point like he was doing this also against um, non-conference opponents again it was like one a game like one you know um, bad bad like set per game but you know that that's enough to suggest a trend um, at least in kind of in the sample size that we have but at the same time Alex Strain of Eng- MGO blog um, reminded me that like you know Trent A. Jones is probably again uh, to Dan's point to everyone's point here um, such a solid run, run blocker probably one of the best um, on a team that despite what a certain analytics website that will remain nameless um, suggests like is full of really good run blockers so like he's doing a really really good job and there's a reason he is starting at that spot and um, you know, so so these things may happen. Um, and I, you know, I, I do kind of worry about those things a little bit, um, especially kind of looking at the the defenses we'll see moving forward again. I was probably up there. I'm talking about the one that we see in late November. Um, but you know, all, all things considered, like, you know, I, I can't be so negative about Trent A. Jones. Um, but I- that was not it was just not great yeah uh taylor is an agent of the three-letter uh sports statistics website that we can no longer mention on the show uh she's (laughs) she's a plant um we have we have two acronyms now that we can't mention uh at all one is the recruiting related one the other is that accursed sports grading website that is just dead to me at this point because again (laughs) their stats are the stats that they provide and the context that they provide for like the trenches specifically for O-line and D-line are unparalleled. You will never find anything better. But like the grades, we'll talk about them at at, a, at another time. This could be a five-hour podcast if you let me talk about that. So I, I just want to briefly point out that they've been giving Michigan 
bad run blocking grades and they've been giving good run blocking grades to Michigan State, which has possibly the worst rushing attack in the entire Big Ten and is an absolutely it's pathetic. Bad. It's really, really pathetic. Bad. I so I look, Taylor's right. We can't get derailed. We have important things to talk about. Are there other big boy takes before I um <clears throat> genuflect to our sponsors? But I do love that. I do love the offensive line. I, I believe I made the joke that they're kind of like my large adult sons um, in the most professional way I can say it because like they're great. They're so good. And it's really nice to see this level of consistency um, year over year. Um, obviously, we brought back a lot of people, but um, it, it, it's really nice. And yeah, it, it's just it's great. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if I'm going to be negative about one thing, it's that, um, you know, as a pass, as a, as a run blocking line, like this is the best you can possibly be. Um, but as a pass blocking line, like there are open questions as to what happens when they face a truly elite pass rusher on the edge. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as long as they come into the game with a, a plan on how to deal with that, it, it can still be worked around. Uh, but, you know, I, I expect that, you know, we saw what happened with Penn state last year, like with other teams that had really, really disruptive pass rushers. And you, you just want to come into the game, like, knowing that, hey, like asking Trenta Jones or Ryan Hayes to go one-on-one with those guys is is not what you want to do. You're, you, there's enough, we have enough, we've got three billion tight ends in this team. Like somebody can ship, <laughs> you know? So uh, that's, as long as you know that, like I don't see this being like a season ender. No, I don't think so either. I think it's probably pretty comparable, like you said, to last year when Penn State in particular, Georgia doesn't count as we discussed, but Penn yeah. State gave us some, <laughs> Penn State gave us some trouble because they had two excellent pass rushers. Um and I think, you know, that's the kind of thing we're going to have to deal with. Um, game planning will have to reflect that. But the run blocking is, I don't expect to see this level of run blocking that I've seen the last two years from Michigan. Like, it's going to be a while, most likely, because they're just so good at it. Um, so, yeah. And uh, you know who's good at uh, boutique, high-quality, uh, licensed apparel? That would be our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Go smooth. <laughs> it's not that smooth, but I'm, I'm doing my best here. Um, please use the promo code meet at midfield for 15% off your first order from Homefield Apparel. That's at homefieldapparel.com. Now, I have a personal stake in what they're doing right now because they just announced that on the 6th of October, which is only a few days from now, they're releasing University of Wyoming Cowboys merch. That's going to be a really interesting drop for me because I grew up in Laramie. Longtime listeners of the show will know that my affection from for Josh Allen stems from uh, covering him, you know, in my hometown, Laramie, Wyoming. And I've been around that campus my whole life. And I am psyched about this. I am really excited to see what they do with it. I will be snapping up a bunch of this merch. Uh, go Pokes. And, you know, God bless you, Connor. I'm sorry that your Indiana Hoosiers football team is so terrible, but, you know, you're used to that by now. <laughs> um also, we're sponsored by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 matched in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That's bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler. All right. With that, we are on to the Iowa defense. Um, 
the Iowa defense is the is uh or our sorry our defense against Iowa. <laughs> we talked about the Iowa defense already. <laughs> Dan, that wasn't smooth, Connor. Uh, some notes for myself there. Anyway, um, we're starting. We're returning once again to the trenches. The big beefy boys on the other side of the ball. I and this is a Connor take, not an official take, but you know my my view of the interior of this defensive line. Guys like Mozzie Smith, uh, Chris Jenkins, Rishon Benny, and Mason Graham. I consistently see them getting push in general. I consistently see them either winning against blockers or at least get fighting to a stalemate, which is good for interior defensive linemen. And they get some degree of QB pressure, but it's not it's not Mohurst level. That's not like a main engine of this defense uh, in the passing game, at least. Um, but it is probably the best set of guys there in terms of results that we've had since Mohurst, which is something to celebrate. Um, on the edges, Mike Morris is looking more and more like a star. He had two sacks in this game and generated a ton of mayhem. He was all over the place. That was the closest we've seen to like a complete game, you know, Hutchinson-esque performance from somebody so far this year. That was very welcome. Um, And I also want to shout out, there's been a lot of discussion of like, who's going to become Michigan's sort of emergent pass rushing, rushing specialist. As the season wears on, there was a big group of guys competing for that spot. And I think we're getting some clarity there. Because Ayabi Oki showed out in this game. Uh, he had a really sick sack, one-handed, where he just whooped a tackle. Um, created some other mayhem late in the game. And uh, not only is that we have that as evidence that he will be used more, we have the constant ongoing praise from an uninformed, no doubt clownish message board poster named Jim Harbaugh, who really loves uh, Ayabi Oki and won't stop talking about him. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah, I mean... I think that this game was a little bit deceptive in terms of the interior defensive line. Um, You know, they weren't as disruptive as they'd been in previous games, but this is a blocking scheme. um, This, you know, outside zone, heavy blocking scheme that really what they, what Iowa wants you to do is they want you to try to get upfield and then they lock you out of the play and, and move, shift their, shift their offensive line over, lock you out, you know, one gap over and then have a numbers advantage on the, on the front side of the play. And Michigan did not allow that to happen. It's like, to, to play sound defense against this outside zone blocking scheme is to flow with your blocker, to uh, hold him at the line of scrimmage, to not allow him to climb. And that's what these guys did all day. And I mean, like the running game weirdly felt bad, but then you look at the stats, like they had zero like explosive runs. Like they did not generate, they, they did not generate a, a, you know, they did not run the ball with any type of consistency. Um, you know, uh, in addition to that, Mason Graham and uh, and Mozzie Smith both had huge um, uh, pressures in the passing game. Uh, Mozzie Smith leveled Spencer Petras in a way that I was genuinely concerned when he came back out for the next uh, drive. Um, Mason Graham had a nice, like, that was a Graham-Glasgow-ass pass rush. Like, absolutely just used a push-pull move and fully destroyed um, that the offensive guard and sacked uh, – we got a really valuable sack on a play action play. Like Michigan was, um, was struggling in terms of generating organic pre- pressure against uh, Iowa's play action game, which is, is understandable. I mean, like that, that is specifically designed to not allow, you know, pressures. Um, but it was just a really, really nice play. I thought they played well against the run all day. Um, maybe even better than the stats, uh, the stats indicated, because I thought that our linebackers could have done a better job cleaning up, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm super impressed with the interior. Um, Chris Jenkins also, you know, made his presence known. Uh, and then a Yabioki, like I can't 
Well, first of all, I'll say I'm Mike Morris first because he like if he's going to rush the passer like that, he got a couple really nice bend around the edges against Maryland last week, and then a ton, especially once we went like full pass rush mode this week. If he's going to rush the passer like that at his size, like that's a first round pick. I'm sorry, um, he's he's playing really really good football right now, and like that's a star. That that guy's that guy's like an all American in the making. Um, and then a Yabioki like just looks like he's play he plays the run really well and he just fires he's got like he's got a type of explosion that you don't see anywhere else in this roster um you he, you see him out there and like it's very obvious to see like why he was once a, a top five player in in uh high school recruiting um and then you know you've got a, a bunch of guys that play roles like i think jalen harrell's still playing pretty good football against the run unfortunately i see him losing his job to yabioki very soon um, it's just like, oh, he's just coming on more and more. And like the upside is there where, where it's not with Harold. Um, and Taylor Upshaw made a couple of really nice heady plays in this game. So, you know, like I, I think like having a guy like that that can play inside a little bit is not going to get fooled is, is, is worth, you know, is worth more than we give him credit for. So look, edge on this team, I'm not going to say it's like it, it's coming along. Like it, it is coming along. It's coming along to the point where they need it to be if they're going to, um, make CJ Stroud uncomfortable in November. Yeah, um, I, and I I agree totally. Um, I, I'm really glad that Oki seems to have found a fit here. Like you can you could even tell in like the post game like interview that that um, because I think they had they had Morris and Oki both on um, on the interview, and it was just really nice. Um, again, this is going to be a little warm fuzzy. I'm sorry, um, but you know. Uh, there were there were questions on character and you know locker room stuff that I you know I think we all disagree with but un- I understand where that some some of that stuff is warranted due diligence and so forth um but this is a really nice like this is a really nice like kind of like evolution of like kind of where where we all kind of knew he was coming in as a player um you know bounced around several programs kind of was in um junior college for a little bit uh junior college or somewhere else but um not necessarily at the level that that his talent suggested and and now that he's here it's really nice to kind of have that synergy and also to kind of see that Jim Harbaugh does hype him up so much because it it seems like this is a good program fit for him um and he is getting the reps he is getting like you know the the stuff that that he needs as a player so that's really you know you know, I don't I don't mean to be like, oh, this is so heartwarming, but like it's nice. It's good. Um I mean and it's I heartwarming unless your nice. quarterback is playing against Michigan, in which case but, it's terrifying. Yes, <laughs> unless you're Spencer Petras, in which case you are not having a fun time. Because um, like I, I love that you're couching it as like, I'm so glad we could do something nice for this guy, but like he's scary. Like that that's right, that he right. had. You just had that like tackle hanging off of him basically and just yeah. dragged Petras down with one arm. That was absurd. And you mentioned Harbaugh. Like I don't remember the last time Jim Harbaugh has gone to this his way this much to praise a guy who joined the team. Like wasn't even on the team when camp started, and like hasn't played that much. And Harbaugh will right. not shut up about him, which is tells you a lot. I think. Um, right. I I think it's great. And and you know I'm not trying to say it as like you know heartwarming story. I'm saying it as like no, this was a this was like a a bet that paid off. This was really really this is good for Michigan. Um, it's good for him as a player and in his development. And it's good for Michigan because like the, th- everything is like in sync, you know what I mean? Like everything is working together to get him, you know, 
on the edge doing the things that he's good at this rocks like oh, yeah I didn't, about it. I didn't mean to accuse you of like uh obscuring that point i thought it was funny that you were like isn't it great we can do something nice for this guy and i'm like i don't know he, <laughs> he kind of rocks um yeah no he one, rocks legitimately yeah. thing- isn't it nice that he could do something nice for us isn't that us as michigan fans the protagonists <laughs> of, of the, the universe thing. you know like right. the, the objectively like the good people you know <laughs> <laughs> the the fan base chosen by god as we know right um, of course <laughs> I, I i just wanted to note something dan said which i failed to note in my summary which is that it is completely absurd that mason graham could do that sack as a true freshman like this is a guy who came in as a true freshman at a position that true freshmen are almost always bad at and was like already 330 pounds and is doing stuff like that as you said it was glasgowian and it's like if he keeps getting better He's going to be absolutely terrifying. I he's already good enough to be like consistent starter contributor for years, but like that he's doing that as a teenager, I don't even know, man. That just shouldn't, dude. Yeah, that it's way. that's he's a first round pick. He's just a first round pick. Like, there's just no, I don't know what else to say about it. Like him doing that at 18 years old to, I know it's not a good Iowa offensive line, but that is a corn fed like heart of the country Iowa offensive lineman, and just making him look silly and single-handedly ending the like the last real drive where it felt like Iowa was threatening. I mean, it was just really, really good. Um, and I just want to say about the pass rush in general. Like, I, I feel like I like, you know, it sort of felt like Michigan got all their pass rushing in at the end. But then I went back and looked and I'm like, oh, Iowa's entire game plan was not to face any true dropbacks. Like they 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 did play action, they did boots, they did quick throws, like everything they could do not to face a real pass rush. And even then we got a couple sacks, but then as soon as they actually had to drop back and pass the ball and read a defense, like Michigan was getting real pressure on almost every snap. And I think that's a, it's a major, major positive. Like I'm, I think the arrows are all up as far as the pass rush goes. And, um, you know, we won't know much until like Indiana's offensive line really sucks. So they're probably going to, you know, run rampant there. But like, I think we'll start to see like a lot better play um, in, in that area of the game. Yeah, and I mean, it could be important against Penn State, which is a good good team overall. But as we know, offensive line is not their strength. And this has become a tremendous strength for Michigan. I mean, the front, like the front might even be more important to this team this year, even though last year we had superstar pass rushers, just because the cumulative effect, like Dan said, is so they're coming from everywhere. And there's no real weaknesses on this front except for you know some of the guys on the edge don't have amazing pass rush but we think we probably have a solution to that so i mean yeah arrows up i think is the best way to uh describe it should we talk about a position group where the arrows are sadly down yeah this is kind of like the it could be the major bummer of pretty much the the whole podcast is the only real part of the team i don't feel very good about yeah if you accuse us of being too positive this is where that ends yeah uh signpost this one everybody um so linebackers, I am going to go ahead and say hot take. This is looking like it's going to be a problem um, because when there are obvious problems against a frankly bad offense, not just a bad offense, but also an offense that is very simple. Like that's the joke about Brian Ferentz is that he's like drawing this stuff up in crayon basically. Um, and, you know, knit, putting on his dad's fridge with magnets and his dad says, I'm so proud of you. That's like, how, that's how Iowa's plays are. And the linebackers had another shaky game. Um they're still short of guys. Nakai Hill Green, like, if you're ever going to come back, man, like, please. <laughs> I, I don't know. I hope he's okay. Like, we need him back. So they're short of guys. The guys they do have, including Colson, whom I still love as a player, like, you know, they're just not – they're not always making the right call in the mental game. 
um, a lot of indecision still. And, you know, we're seeing Jimmy Rolder, who's a skinny, true freshman. Um, and I love the kid, but he's no, he's not the Mason Graham equivalent. No offense to him. Uh, as, you know, out there playing sort of meaningful snaps. And that just tells me this group is very thin. Some of the guys who are older than Rolder have not come along as players. And it just seems like everybody they have in the field right now is committing enough mistakes in any given game where it's it's a real problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think just like Junior Colson needs to be consistently better. Um, you know, they, they they did not do a good enough job looking up Iowa's tight ends when they were in coverage, um, and it, it just wasn't. You know, there were a couple plays where you know that that last completion to uh, a, a tight end. I think that Spencer Petras actually threw a beautiful pass up the seam. Like, not much that Colson could have done about that, but like his drops just aren't consistently good enough. And he's not, I, I don't know if he's, it's not so much that he's second guessing himself like he was last year, but he's just not always in the right place. Um, and he is not really making, in my opinion, enough plays with his athleticism to make up for that. Um, and then Michael Barrett's just like out of position. Like he should not be a stand up linebacker, but this team needs him to be right now. Um, this team badly misses Nikai Hill green. They can probably continue to get away with this for a couple more weeks, but like Penn State's going to test this this linebacker core. They've they've got some running backs that ca- can catch the ball to the backfield. Like they've got some play designs that are going to really test like our um, you know our linebackers like discipline and 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 uh, uh, ability to you know be in the right place. So I, I I this is definitely the weak spot of the team right now. Um, I don't think they're like bad. Like they're not as bad as Michigan State's linebackers who are really really terrible this year but they this is certainly certainly like the, the weak spot on the team right now and um luckily it's probably the least important position on the defense but it's it's still a, it's still a weak point yeah i really have nothing else to say on this and i think we can move on um you know we definitely need um nikai hill green back even then i don't know how much that's gonna help because i mean coming back from an injury or or something of that nature is going to take a little bit of time to kind of get your sea legs um so you know wishing him the best but i I think the other thing too and kind of dan to your point earlier about kind of like them with the tight ends uh luke lachey was the leading receiver uh for for iowa which is which is saying something um look as long as it's not nico regani i'm fine with it uh, he Nico Regani was right behind him. Actually, let me look. That, let me look at that. Oh, I hate him so much. Um, each had four receptions. Um, Lachey had four receptions for eighty-four yards and a touchdown. Um, Regani had four for fifty-five. So, but your your point is well taken. I had to make a Nico Regani joke, but like I, your point is well taken, <laughs> which is that like against the team that tests line linebackers in coverage, Michigan did not pass the test, and that's pretty depressing. I think. Are we all in agreement? We should move on to some guys who are better at coverage. Yes. Um, okay. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, thing, the thing about like the bad position groups is we don't have to talk about them as long. We can just talk about the good parts of the team and hopefully, you know, it's not an issue until it is. <laughs> that's, that's the power of positive thinking right there, Dan. Um, <laughs> so the secondary, uh, this is going to be a game where I'm really curious about UFR from MGO blog and any other like really intensive analysis, because it's really hard to say how the secondary did in this game. Um, the impression that I think we were all left with, and I, by the way, this is not just Michigan fans. I read the Go Iowa Awesome, which is the top, I would say, Iowa Hawkeyes blog response, and they were like, 
yeah, Michigan really backed off on defense in the second half. So this is not just coming from us, but um, it very much looked as if, you know, rather curiously against a bad passing attack that has a bad quarterback and bad receivers, Michigan backed off into soft coverage is a surprising amount. I grant you a lot of that was in the second half where Michigan was turtling and, and where the philosophy seemed to be coming from Harbaugh himself, I assume to make Iowa string together long drives and burn clock. And it did work and that's all well and good, but it just was jarring to watch a situation where it seemed like our guys were supposed to hang back off of Iowa receivers who are bad uh, more than they were against Maryland receivers who were good. And so it, it's frustrating to watch the major conversion, the Nico Regani one that I've been yelling about was Mike Sainer still just slipping. Apparently that's what I was told. And so, you know, fair enough, uh, a rare mistake from our short King. Um, I will say more positive things. DJ Turner, they basically schemed up with what Brian said was a trap coverage, Don Brown style and DJ Turner played it perfectly and almost jumped a route for what would have been a, a game ending pick six. He didn't quite corral the ball. But that was a good, you know, a good moment of playmaking and scheme. Um, I don't know if the safeties had their best game in this in this one. Didn't feel like they made many impact plays, but it's again, safeties are the hardest position to, to diagnose on a broadcast. The point is, this is still a very good secondary. It just wasn't a sort of flashbang game for them. I thought Rod Moore had a really nice up. I agree. There were a couple of plays with the, the safeties I thought weren't great. A lot of times when you're not noticing the safeties, that's a good thing rather than a bad thing. Um not too many long plays for Iowa, but I mean, it's Iowa. So that should kind of be like the, you know, the bare minimum. I thought Rod Moore actually made two really nice tackles. Um, one against Nico Regani and one against uh, Sam Laporta on, I uh, actually crucially to, you know, set up that fourth down um, that Iowa did not convert uh, to pretty much end the game. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit curious that we didn't try to play tighter coverage, but it's hard to disagree that it worked. You know, I mean, Iowa scored seven real points. Even that was the short field. The, the second touchdown, Michigan was totally in like, was in like, we would genuinely rather see you drive the field than like make a stop here mode. You know, it's just like, it, it, they, they scored the ball to go to get within two scores with like eight seconds left. It was totally garbage time. Dan, Dan, Don Brown died for this. I don't want to hear. It. I know. Look, but I think like when you're playing a team like Iowa, you know, like, it might be genuinely better to a, like to to play that off coverage and like be conservative and let them try to you know try to protect against your pass rushers and try to run the ball consistently because you know like any any defense can bust like any quarterback can get beaten on one play like i'd rather not give up like two long touchdowns to iowa and find myself in a game in the fourth quarter um you know i don't know like i i don't hate the game plan um, I, I don't think like this is, I think there's, there's definitely things you can point to with this defense. Like this was not a perfect defensive performance. They've got things to work on all the things that they're doing wrong are fixable. Like the talents all there. Um, and it's not even like parts of it are like necessarily bad. It's just, uh, it's just a matter of like getting everyone on the right page hundred percent of the time. And, um, yeah, I, I thought, I thought that like, you know, the secondary was by and large, like still very good. Um, the, the biggest, the biggest blip really was just like Mike Sanders still falling down on that third and 22, which was pr- pretty bad, pretty bad play. But, you know, other than that, uh, you know, I don't know. Like I, I never felt like Iowa's receivers were truly like getting open. Yeah. And I'd rather see like yakety sacks, bad plays like that than like 
just can't physically cover. So that's right. like fine. And I, I, Dan, I hear everything that you're saying. And I think that, you know, the NFL teams always do this. They always play super soft prevent. It's probably the thing that's supported by the advanced stats. And it's probably the wise thing to do. And we should probably all put praise, you know, Jim Harbaugh and Jesse Minter for it. But it also leads to us having conversations where you say things like, I, hey, I don't want to give up two long touchdowns to the Iowa offense, which like, it's like <laughs> very unlikely to happen. I mean, and, and so I, I totally hear you. Like, you're right. But it is also, you know, we, we must acknowledge on behalf of our fans that we see you and we hear you when it comes to your frustrations watching this because it is it can be frustrating. I'm I I Look, we have, we have been that. we have absolutely been been spoiled with like the give up zero yards to bad teams defense and give up a thousand yards to the Ohio State the offense. Like it's just this is the price of having an actual NFL defense that can compete with Ohio State down the road. Like. NFL defenses give up yards every week. It's just, it's not going to be perfect. They're not going to play like man to man. I mean, and I know, I know you know this, and I know like you're just mostly complaining to complain. Um, but I, I, I think like there is a section of the Michigan fan base that like needs to be reminded that like this is what most teams look like on defense all the time. Yeah, I think my only personal thing was it was just annoying. It was just annoying to me to watch uh, Spencer Petras complete passes, just any passes. Um, I did not enjoy that. Um, he did technically have his best game of the season, um, which is not impressive because he um, was 21 of 31 for 246 yards and one touchdown. His quarterback rating was a 51.5. Um, and again, that is his best showing to date. Um, so, yeah. I mean, and I think, again, you can especially get away with this sort of like prevent um, like kind of game plan when it's Iowa, because even because at the end of the day, you know, again, the third and 22, we can talk about like, you know, some of the, the, the linebackers, we can talk about all of that. But at the end of the day, it's the Iowa offense and the Iowa offense is abysmal and it, you know, I, I don't want to say like, oh, Michigan's lucky. No, that's just the game they played. Because they know I was bad. You guys are totally right. I'm just, I'm just happy that Don Brown isn't here to see this. That's all I'm going to say. Um, is that I think uh, that's probably all we have to say about the secondary since we uh, beat the whole soft coverage thing to death, much like Anika Regani did. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, special teams. I don't have a ton to say about this one. Um, another great performance from Michigan against the other team in the country that is also the best at this, which is Iowa. I'd say we played them to a draw. Um, Kirk Ferentz and Jim Harbaugh were both, I'm sure, hot and bothered to see some of the great punting that was happening. Um, I don't know if there's anything to say about it. Both teams One One hard. shank from from Brad Robbins, I will say, um, did kind of shank one. It, was, it went 39 yards, which in college is really – I mean, that's it's only a shank by the standards of Brad Robbins, but that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, you know – Special teams was great. They didn't really let Iowa get even close to blocking anything. It, it was it was all very good stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I, I wish we had a shot of Kirk Ferentz's like, look of disgust when Brad Robbins kicked it a mere 39 yards. <laughs> I mean, he must have looked just full of disdain when that happened. But we still love you, Brad Robbins. I like the mustache, even if there are some haters and losers among my co-hosts um, when it comes to the stash. Taylor's, Taylor's staying muted wisely as I say that. Um, I've never said I disliked it. I just thought it was a very specific look that he wants to be like Mr. Monopoly. It, like it, it's very specific. God bless him for it because he looks good. Um, I think that's probably it for special teams. But I, my overall take that we've already basically discussed is 
part of Jim Harbaugh being Jim Harbaugh is that in the second half with a lead, especially against teams that he thinks we're better than, which we are better than Iowa, fair enough, he will try to limit snaps. And this is not me making this up. He said it in the past. It was part of the Don Brown philosophy as well. But he will try to shorten games. Um, you know, again, he's he's playing against Kirk Ferentz, who's like the ultimate game shortener. So it's pretty funny to watch. But that's he will do that. And I think that in a lot of ways, the advanced stats and like rational analysis back him up on it. And we saw it play out in both offense and defense. And, you know, the Iowa analysts also noted that we were turtling on offense and playing soft on defense. And that's just the name of the game with Jim Harbaugh. And I think in fairness to him, Dan's going to back me up on this. The thing about Jim Harbaugh is he does that against lesser teams and he almost never loses to lesser teams. So you have to say that it works. They have never. First of all, the times that Michigan has lost to lesser teams have not been because Jim Harbaugh has turtled. You know, like pretty much every time you can think of, I mean, I don't know if we want, I'm not going to go through every single one, but uh, Iowa in 2016 was a full offensive collapse that was partially due to Wilton Spate, you know, it was not because Michigan turtled in the second half. You know, they were never up by more than like 10 in that game. Um, the times that they've lost to Michigan State have not been because he's turtled. Like they've just gotten a couple of times they gotten beat a couple, a couple of times. It's, you know, like just a, a concurrence of events. Like I don't, I do not believe that they turtled. They truly turtled last year. You know, I mean, JJ McCarthy effectively dropped a handoff that, if, if they don't do that, they probably still win that game despite everything that happened. You can tell Dan is traumatized because he's telling the whole story of yeah. <laughs> this horrible, horrible game. Yeah. But you're, I mean, you're totally right. You're totally right. But, like, but it's yeah. like, it's like, it's not because Jim Harbaugh turtled. You know, it's like, it's never when he goes into turtle mode, like it's usually the right call and it pisses you off from a style perspective and from like a Michigan covering the spread perspective. But he usually, it's come close a couple times. But he usually pulls it out. And, like, there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like, Jim Harbaugh does not lose games to teams that he is decisively better than. Like, they just don't. And he does – I mean, he of course he has before. But, like, at a much lower rate than the rest of the country. And, um, yeah, like, it's a skill that he has. And I think even in this game, like, turtling was kind of the right call. Like, you know, you've got a young quarterback. Like, just you're running the ball for five yards a clip. I mean, if we really dissect it, that second half drive where JJ throws the, you know, the fumble, like that was one that they weren't intending to turtle there, right? Like that's a passing play. And they ended up turtling by virtue of like, okay, we're at third and 22. Let's run the ball. Um, and then, yeah, like the three, the the one where uh, Blake Quorum was stopped short uh, on third and one. Um, I would have liked to see a pass there just given the fact that Iowa was so blatantly in zero coverage, like almost any, like, you know, Ronnie Bell's going to get open, like just give him a chance. Um, that's one that I would say like, that's too conservative. Uh, but then like, yeah, once they got, once, once Iowa didn't score, it was absolutely the right call to just like, I mean, hell, I even would have run the ball three times on, on that, uh, that drive where we were backed up inside the goal line. Like I would not have thrown the ball, um, it was the right call. And and like he bet that Iowa was not going to be able to like score enough points to tie the game. And he was absolutely correct. And that Michigan's like win probability never dipped below like 95%. I think that whole time you heard it here first, Dan thinks that Jim Harbaugh was right. And is always right. And I agree. And we have never <laughs> called for him to be fired. Absolutely. Not, e- not even one time. Have I said that he's a big dumb idiot? Not even once. <laughs> and uh, Taylor, what's your take? 
Uh, my only take here, the only thing I'm really taking away is this. Um, Brian Ferentz needs to be fired yesterday. I know it's not going to happen. If it hasn't happened now, it's never going to happen. And honestly, this may this game may have saved him for at least the rest of the season. Uh, because, again, Spencer Petras, like, completed passes. Um, it's just, it's it's inconscionable what they are doing. Unconscionable, whatever, what they're doing at Iowa right now. That is just, it, it is... Like that fourth down, that fourth down where he where Petrus threw it to Laporta short of the sticks, like in the flat, is the worst thing I've ever seen. Because like nothing really happens. Like obviously the offensive pass interference happens, um, but but that play was bad anyway. And it's just they got to do something about that. Um, it's just it's not it's bad. <laughs> we've we've reduced taylor's uh words are failing her because she's trying to describe the brian ferrant situation and i agree I think how it's... do you though how how do you and describe... this was one of his better games like he had some creative yes. play calls in this game like that this was not me. actually one of his his virtuoso performances like it's it's bad out there man they're they're no, not the good. only the only virtuoso one was the uh you know one yard pass short of the sticks to the tight end <laughs> on fourth and two which like i there are smarter people I than me he, that have pointed out that if you throw the ball well, he's going to convert, and that's right. true. Or at least have a chance. I think. I think. I, I think Will Johnson makes a hit that makes it questionable um, if he throws that ball on time. But yeah, definitely. Like it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, I mean, I. Yeah, it's it's not good out there though. It's he's, he's the not a good execution. Was, the execution just wasn't there. Like that was something where I was like, oh boy, but. The well, that's because Spencer Petrus is the quarterback. Like as you as you yourself noted, I mean, he's just like I, I think you're right though. This this bride this buys Ferentz or Brian Ferentz some time if he if he needs it. I mean, his dad is the coach, but like because they did string together one drive in non garbage time, and like Iowa hasn't done that against a good opponent in a while. So, but I mean, it's uh, truly like some of the throws Petrus was making. This game could have had a different complexion if if Petrus like just were not uh, maybe the worst quarterback in FBS and some of those throws in the first half were just ungodly. Well, uh, Connor, I don't know if you know this, but PFF. Uh, oh, sorry, I said I said the forbidden uh, acronym, but <laughs> they to, they, they, they graded him out at nine at a ninety in this game. Um, oh, I, actually, I actually don't think Petrus was that bad in this game. Like he he missed some bad throws, but he had a, he had a couple dimes. Um, it, it was. This was not this was not the Iowa offense's worst game, which is that should be that should be very terrifying as an Iowa fan that this was like pretty decent for them. But like I thought he actually he had a couple of good throws in this game, but he was not comprehensively terrible. So I actually agree with that because it, it was people have raised compared this game to Wisconsin last year, which was also week five on the road against the Big Ten West. And Graham Mertz, who is also bad dropped some serious dimes in the second half of that game. Not not the second half, because he was out in the second half, the uh, first half of that game. And I agree. I think Petrus hit some really nice throws, a couple of which were the old MGO blog tip of the cap throw. So, like, in the second half, he was actually good. That that whole half, I would say, he was generally pretty good. Um, the first half was a different story. But I'm, you're not wrong, and that just goes back to Taylor's point of, like, you know, that's what they look like when Petrus is playing is cooking well. when they let Petrus cook. <laughs> yeah, so Petrus cooks, that's what you get. And it's like, it's still disgusting. So yeah, that's uh, I think honestly, guys, I think we've said enough about Iowa football for one, yeah, for one for week, sure. probably for the whole season for a um, lifetime, for a whole lifetime. So on to other big 10 teams of the week, I will warn everyone without aces, big 10 watching prowess. It seems like we cumulatively did not watch that many big 10 games this week. Uh, um, I watch, I watch all the big 10 games mostly. 
<laughs> okay. I mean, Dan, which one do you want to talk about? Uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, like beating the crap out of Wisconsin in a very Wisconsin way. Like this was a slow, slow beat down um, going into Madison and beating Wisconsin the way they did like that rules. And that's cool. And like, I, I don't know, like I, I love like, that's so embarrassing for Wisconsin and they fired their coach because of it, you know, like that's awesome. That rules. I'm, I'm a big fan. And like Illinois could win the West. It's, it's absolutely in the cards, you know, like, or actually in, in, in the realm of possibility. And that would be, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I would love to see that. It's funny to me that Illinois would be the odds on favorite if they hadn't somehow lost to Indiana. Oh my God. Yeah. That's classic. that's That one's going to haunt them. You know that like, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. They're going to somehow not win the West because of that, but I agree. Like they're actually a, a pretty good team. And like the thing that stood out to me of this game is I didn't watch most of it, but I turned tuned in towards the end and Bert, uh, AKA Brett Bielema, the smirk of Bert on the sideline as he, it turned out, knocked Paul Chris out of his job, his former job was just beautiful. Like, I mean, he's, I don't think I would enjoy talking to Brett Bielema. He seems like a unpleasant right wing meathead, like, you know, most football coaches are, but like <laughs> it, seeing that like diabolical grin on his face as he just finished eviscerating his former team. I, I live for that kind of stuff in college football. Um, he was very pleased with himself, as he should be, because, you know, this is a team. Illinois has been mocked so much. They go up to Madison, which is supposed to be a very hard place to play ag- against the team that is always the default choice for Big Ten West champions. And they beat the living stuffing out of them. Um, and Wisconsin is, I mean, Drew Hom, like, shout out to him for helping get Paul Chris fired <laughs> and all that. I Taylor will address that in a second. But, like, it is staggering to see a team sort of lose their edge and see no one be scared of them in such quick succession. And that's a good segue into uh, some stuff Taylor wants to talk about. Um, yeah. I love being right. Basically is what I wanted to say. Um, last wasn't really just last week. Um, I talked about, uh, you know, should Paul Christ be on the hot seat? And we kind of said like, he won't be. And here we are today. Um I I just also would like to address um there are certain like folks across like the college football media landscape and not and not like the usual suspects that I'm like complaining about but like you know really bird's eye folks who who haven't really been paying a ton of attention who are who are like wow this is so surprising it's not like watch Wisconsin football and you will understand um and they've been you know on this decline for a while especially considering the talent that they've had um while Paul Christ was there and like yeah I get it like very sad he was an alum all this sort of stuff um I I just don't I don't know what to make of it it is certainly surprising um and I think they reduced his buyout to from 20 to 11 million that they're gonna pay out of something next year so basically it's taken care of chris family um, really get really going hungry they're going to be uh in some dire straits soon with that 11 million dollars right <laughs> Sorry. please won't someone won't someone think of the college football coaches um but yeah i i, I feel i feel good that i was right about that that i brought up the question of paul christ um i do also want to say uh my big 10 team of the week um nive is not both uh msu or maryland uh because both of those teams are bad i um so for the for me to midfield we do a playback stream so we kind of like commentate and like narrate the games um and people can kind of like type in it's like a twitch stream except for like we're all watching the same football game it's really fun um we try to have those every week 
And I was like, you know what? We should do MSU Maryland. And here I am thinking, here I am thinking like, you know what? Like everyone thinks this isn't going to be a fun game. Like I know this is going to be a bad game, but like a fun bad game. Um, It was just a bad game. Like I didn't enjoy watching that. Um, Maryland, I I wasn't particularly impressed with. And uh, Michigan State is stinky. Um, And that's really all I've got. So neither of those teams are my Big Ten team of the week. Like I would like to do this by a process of elimination. Um, that, That it's not them because that game was stinky. And as much as I love being right, um, as I was about Paul Christ, I was wrong about this. So I'm like one in one and I can live with that. So your Big Ten team of the week, I take it, is the mighty Cornhuskers of Nebraska who not just All right. win Hold against on. Indiana Hoonster. <laughs> let's let's not <laughs> let's not go that far. Um it it might, I guess, like technically Ohio State. Um just because well, they did beat Rutgers. They but I know their special teams. I was think not you're a taking this situation. exercise too literally, where you're like trying to pick out the best team in the Big Ten. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Well, then uh, as long as if I don't have to pick one, then just say Purdue. Purdue's a good one, actually. Purdue. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what I was supposed to pick. Purdue. I've. I've. Te- I I've teased watch you a second. Of- I just. I just feel like as as host, I I can't let you say Ohio State. That just doesn't seem. I don't know. That that seems wrong. But um, yeah, I. I actually disagree with Taylor. I had a lot of fun watching Maryland MSU. I agree Maryland's not that good, although they could win like nine games. It wouldn't surprise me because the offense is legit. And I actually think Talia, who I slandered preseason, again, number two in the country completion percentage, that sort of takes away some of the sort of like high variance erratic charge from him. Like, I think he's good, to be honest, at least as a college quarterback. Wow, look at that. Look who's look who's <laughs> right. Look who didn't let anyone... The stats, the stats, baby. Talia Tungavailo is is a good college quarterback, and I'm not going to be hearing anything different. <laughs> I have a question though. I have a question. Like, was he injured? It's un- it seems like the three of us watched this game. Like, I know he's got the the knee brace, but like, did he get hurt more? He didn't look like super as mobile, and and I just kind of was like. He doesn't seem like a hundred percent right now. I, I guess I'm only curious, and I have not followed any Maryland coverage since then, so I might just be like, uh, he's got a knee brace on. I think he's like not quite, a, but he played well against Michigan State. I think they didn't move the ball as well as as easily as I thought they might, but um, it was. I mean, Maryland won comfortably. They were never in in uh, never in danger of of losing that game in the second half. They kind of did what we did, like they turtled a little bit, like they. They trusted their defense to um, stop Michigan State's offense, which is a uh, is a pretty damning um, indictment of, of Michigan State's offense. <laughs> An offense that we thought might be like number three in the conference before the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm just. Surpri- I, I gotta say, I'm surprised they they've had a lot. Of, well, this is can be our talking Michigan State segment here, but like, you know, the defense was really bad, and, and I think a lot of people expected it to be really bad just because the the secondary was so bad. Um, they had they had a lot of injuries, including like a lot they really just could not afford. Um, so that part of the ball is it shouldn't be as bad as it is, but it's somewhat um, explainable. Them being this bad on offense is just wild. Like there's there's good playmakers on that side of the ball, and they just seem not to be able to put it all together. I mean, the offensive line I guess is just a lot worse than I even thought it was going to be, and I thought it was going to be pretty bad. But anyway, uh, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, what can me- you say? having watched them a fair amount this year, to me, the culprits are genuinely bad offensive line and running backs who are at best, just guys. Um, And, you know, receivers are still pretty good. Peyton Thorne is not that good, but he's like 
fine. He's not really the problem. I mean, he is getting killed back there. That's that's the problem. Um, I will say, like, we should note for our listeners, like, Maryland had a pick six that got erased on one of the absolute worst calls you will ever see, where just a, basically a routine hit that happens all the time in the secondary was called a personal foul and sent Crazy. a pick six back. It was, I mean, it yeah, was just What was he supposed wretched. to do? There, there was no, I mean, there's nothing. It was just a horrible call. Like it was just that, you know, the bad call of the week in the big 10. So that that's one of many things that made this game look closer than it really was. The other thing, and this is relevant to Michigan, whose coach is Jim Harbaugh, is that the one thing Michigan state has been like stone cold elite at this year is goal line stance. I saw them do this against Washington. Washington tried to slam it into a wall at the goal line because they're like, well, this defense sucks. Of course we could do this. It didn't work for Washington. Maryland did it four times in a row and came out of the red zone with no points as a result because Michigan State, I know this will shock longtime listeners of the show, still has some pretty stout, as Dan said, pains in the ass in the middle of their defensive line who are not going to be moved in that situation. And I suspect there will be at least one moment where this is irrelevant in the Michigan-Michigan State game because if there's one thing Jim Harbaugh loves to do, it is ram his running back into a wall. So I, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, they're absolutely – you just yeah. know they're making a goal line stop versus Michigan. Like there's 0% chance they won't make a goal line stop against Michigan. For sure. And and this is something that, that's been pointed out, that Michigan has not been as elite as they should be at finishing drives, at least at least not finishing them with a touchdown. Like we, uh, like there's been times where, where – Michigan has settled for field goals when we should not be settling for field goals. Um, and I think that happened a little bit during Iowa. It happened a little bit during Maryland. Um, so so that is going to be something that maybe we, we have to watch, unfortunately, because Michigan State seems to really like the, the one thing they can do is be in the red zone, specifically at the goal line, which is just a really precarious, interesting spot to just like learn to play defense. But that secondary is bad. That secondary is bad, bad, bad. Their secondary is just like I I I know Michigan will run the ball against them. I'm not sure that we have to because they just can't cover anybody. Um it's it's grim and I'm very much enjoying it. I mean, uh a listener of the show will go unnamed. He he's one of many Michigan graduates with a, a Sparty sibling, and he reports that his his Sparty sibling said, Yeah, I think we might win two more games this year. So I guess that's Rutgers and Indiana if they're if they're lucky. I, I think they're gonna miss a bowl. And they're just really oh, I mean, bad. a bowl at this point would be like, I mean, I I think I think they'd absolutely kill for a bowl right now. Like this is not, there's not, there's not four more wins on the schedule. I mean, they're gonna, I guess the 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 biggest X factor is if they can find a way to gut it out against Zombie Wisconsin. Um, but Wisconsin oh, could be still has game. like, <laughs> yeah, that could be oh god, that could be terrible. I mean, but Wisconsin is still good at one thing, unlike Michigan State, who's good at zero. So like that's that's probably and you know i feel like jim leonard's probably like a good coach and will probably have them like at least motivated right so i don't know it's it's if they can if they can pull out the game against wisconsin they got a chance to make a bowl but like otherwise like it gets bleak quick especially with illinois being like not the gimme that they thought it would be illinois is going to destroy them and i'm going to laugh when it happens um yeah it's i i mean we're gonna say this like every week this year probably but like it is just wild to watch one of your main rivals give a contract to a coach that you give to a guy who's made the college football playoff. And, you know, he's soon he's on the fast track to being like a 500 coach 
maybe like this or like all my, I don't know what the, the three seasons will be cumulatively, but like, you know, good chance he'll get close to being around 500 over three seasons when it's all said and done. And uh, I don't think that's what they were paying him for. So it's, it's getting pretty, pretty wild to watch pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is like perfect. Like this is the kind of bullshit Michigan state pulls though. Is like, they've announced to the world of their badge that like when Michigan beats them, like it, it doesn't count, you know, like they get, they get to just say that they're bad when they lose to Michigan. And like, it's, it actually doesn't count to beat bad Michigan state teams. Um, so excited for that. Um, it's, it's, they take all the fun out of beating them. Yeah. Uh, and but, we have to give the asterisk that we always give when we do this stuff, which is that like when they play Michigan, it will be in a driving monsoon. And even though it'll be at noon, it'll be like pitch dark. And uh, you know, the game will be like 21 to 15 or something deep into the fourth quarter. And it's it looking feel to be a horrible. night game. Oh, it's it's looking night to be game? A, well, it's to be determined, but they did just announce Penn state is another, yeah, uh, it's going to be a night game. Saturday. It's gonna be which is just a such a bad idea. Like this is, and as as like a hate to be like no fun, but that's a bad idea at Harbor Police Department. Like that's not gonna be a good time. Um, Yeah, like yeah. I mean, public safety, I I agree, but also just like from a football point of view, like it's gonna be dark. I suspect it'll be cold. We always play them right around Halloween, and the Halloween spirit is always in that game, and it's just gonna feel like. I, of course, I would love it if Michigan is up like 38 nothing at half. I would certainly take that. I just suspect it's going to be a game that feels awful, even though Michigan will probably win just because yeah. we are so much better than them. But it's going to feel bad and it's going to I I'm going to feel bad and I'm going to complain about it. What was the last time Michigan played the Spartans at night? Trouble with a snap. Was that that time? No, it was, no, that was, that was a corn game. It, it was, was John O'Corn in the rain. That was oh, and that game felt even worse. Awful. Awful. So and that was also at night. Oh, we have to stop playing them at night. We, we're done with the Kinnick thing. We're 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 past Kinnick. We've moved on to stop playing Michigan State at night. Yeah, especially in Ann Arbor, where they weirdly beat us more often in the last stop 10 it. years, which is <laughs> we yeah, have to um, stop doing this. Stop doing this. Um I think we've probably reversed like jinxed, reverse jinx, and then jinxed again. Uh Michigan is Michigan State enough. I think we're probably about ready to wind it down. Any more takes people want to get out there for this week? No, I'm good. I got I got enough takes in. Taylor. No, I'm good. I'm good. I got I got my my take quota in for the week. Um thank you for thank you for hosting because I certainly wasn't going to do it. I I did my best. I think I was a little bit unfair to you guys. Um but you know, you probably deserve it. So, uh anyway, thank thank you guys both for putting up with me as host. I really appreciate it. Um to our listeners, follow at bucket problem and at meet at midfield on Twitter. Sign up for meetatmidfield.com, rate, review, and subscribe to the free pod. Use the promo code meetatmidfield at homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code bucketprob on PointsBet. Go blue oh, I have one and- more thing. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry <laughs> to interrupt you. Oh, my God. Okay, what I'm is it? Worst. Say it. Say it. Say it. Um, we're currently running a free week at Meet at Midfield, so everything this week is free. Every single piece of content that we are doing is $0.00, so you can read it. Um, and also, if you use code EXTRA, E-X-T-R-A, um, you can get 10% off your subscription. I probably should have put that in the show notes somewhere. Um, Connor, uh, I, I don't. I am so sorry for stealing your thunder. No, it's okay. It's okay. You, This is your week to do what you want because you and Drew Hom are the two people most responsible for Paul Chris getting fired. So congrats <laughs> to you both. And uh, I'm really proud of you, of you both. And anyway, go blue and good night. And Jalen Hurts is better than uh, Josh Allen, 100%. And we're going to end the recording right now. <laughs>
<laughs> no way. Wait, hold on. I didn't end the recording. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>